Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, it is good to see you. My name is Shane. I'm the executive pastor here at Timberlake. I also want to welcome all of our campuses, Redmond, Issaquah, Duval, Woodenville Bothell, Castle Rock, and online. Uh, wherever you're joining us for this weekend, we are glad that you are here. This weekend, we're going to be continuing our series, I Believe in God, But I Can Do It By Myself. Now, uh, we're going to be talking about relationships and friendships this weekend. I believe in God, but I can do it by myself. I'm good on my own. I don't need anyone else. I like to fly solo. I can do it by myself, which right now is my four-year-old's favorite phrase. Usually when we're getting dressed in the morning, it takes about an hour and ends up with his shirt on backwards. It's great. How much does a friend cost? Most of us have probably seen those people with the signs, free hugs, right? For them, friendship is free. Did you know you can also pay someone to stand in line for you? There's an app where you pay someone and they'll go, let's say a new phone's coming out or you want to buy something but you don't want to wait. They'll stand in line for you and then when they get to the front of the line, they'll text you and they'll switch spots for you. Super convenient. You can also pay someone to be a bridesmaid for you. Jen Glantz wrote a Craigslist ad a few years back uh, to be a bridesmaid. She had done it a few times that year and had a lot of fun with it, and so she thought this might be a great idea. So she posts this ad on Craigslist and then goes to bed. She wakes up the next day to 250 emails. By the end of the week, she had over a thousand inquiries about being a bridesmaid. So she started a company called Bridesmaid for Hire. She said, not everyone is lucky to have quality people in their lives who make them shine. And that's not something they should be embarrassed about. And then this next one, it takes it to a whole nother level. I, I saw on the news uh, a while back that you can pay someone to come and cuddle with you. you. You heard me right. Now, supposedly there's no funny business involved. You just pay them and they come and, and cuddle in companionship. So you give them money and they come and cuddle with you. Now, I thought it sounded weird, but Pastor Ben said he's been making a lot of money with it. So, <laughs> how many of you at, at all of our campuses, how many of you have ever uh, unfriended someone at Facebook? Go ahead, raise your hand. Don't point at them, just raise your hand. I, uh, I read this this last week, true story. Uh, Burger King had a promotion years ago. Do you all know about the Whopper? We know about the Whopper. They had this true story. They had an ad where they went on Facebook and did a promotion that they offered people a free Whopper if you would unfriend 10 of your friends on Facebook. How many of you would do that? Heartless. Now, you couldn't do it sneakily. What you'd have to do is you'd have to do it through their app, and then it would send a message to your friend saying, I like Whoppers more than I like you. 
Now, 10 days into the promotion, Facebook took the ad campaign down because over 233,000 people had been unfriended. Did you know that there's actually a scientific journal called the Journal of Happiness Studies? It's published by a group of psychologists who study what it is that makes people experience joy or happiness. They find that there's one factor time after time that contributes more to people experiencing more happiness than less happiness. And it's not what many would expect. It's not wealth. It's not intelligence. It's not attractiveness. It's not achievement. It's not success. So the mariners should be very happy is what I'm learning so far. The one factor that they find over and over that distinguishes happy people from less happy people is the presence of deep and meaningful relationships in their lives. There was a professor at Harvard named Robert Putman who summarized his research in this way. He said, the single most common finding from a half century's research on life satisfaction, not only from the US, but from around the world, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. Just think about that for a moment. Think about it in, in your life. Think about uh, you experiencing happiness. I know for me, as I was thinking even this last week about uh, my relational happiness throughout my life, and I was thinking back to middle school, the first day of middle school. How many of you remember the first day of middle school? Probably the worst day of your life, right? I remember I was uh, barely five feet tall, weighed probably 80 pounds, and I was scared to death. And I was thinking, not about my grades, not about my classes or my teachers or my academic success. I was thinking one thing, who's gonna be my friend, right? And the reality is, is we don't ever move past that question. We don't ever get over that. Most of us have read the research that Gallup Institute and others have done that time after time say that one of the strongest predictors of job satisfaction in the workplace is having a best or close friend at work. Who's gonna be my friend? The reason we ask this question is because friendships are good for us. We're made for it. Now, most of us, we, we get this when it comes to our social life or even our work life. But in our faith, sometimes we can think, I can do this by myself. But the reality is that's just not true. In the story of creation, we find this very interesting verse. At the beginning of it all, when God created everything, in Genesis 2.18, it says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. In all of the goodness of creation, there's one thing that's not good, and it's aloneness, it's isolation. Now what's interesting is, is that God and Adam at this time, they were already in relationship, and yet God said, that is not enough. There's something else. And so God cre created Eve. And when God created Eve, yes, he established the covenant of marriage, but he also established relationships, friendships, community, and all of that. Faith was never meant to live out on our own. Our faith, it should be a personal faith, but it should never be a private faith. But here's the problem, and it's something we don't talk about a lot, especially at church. It's that friendship can be elusive. Community can be difficult to find. Some of you, you're, you're in a season of life where you maybe just moved here and, and relationships and community, it's been difficult to find. And you're maybe even thinking about past relationships that you've been in and past friendships and you're trying to find stuff that'll sort of live up to that. And it's been difficult. 
I read an interesting stat this last week that according to sociological studies, the average person has only two close friends. And chances are many of you, in fact, if, if I said, list your closest friends, you'd write down two names. Which is interesting because just over a couple decades ago, the average American had over six close friends. What's even more disheartening is that fully 20% of Americans, one in four, would say that they do not have a single close friend. So as the world through technology is getting more and more connected, we're feeling less and less of a connection with other people. Friendship is hard. I wrote down a few reasons why I think friendship can be difficult. Here's number one. We have limited time. Now, we all know this. Nobody says, you know what, I have so much extra time, I just don't know what to do with myself, right? We have, we have overscheduled lives. We're busy, busy, busy. And so what can happen is our relationships kind of get pushed to the side. For many of us, we also have a fear of being known. For some of us, our greatest fear is that people would see us for who we really are. We think if people really knew me on the inside, if people really knew everything I was going through and, and all of my thoughts, if people could see those, heaven forbid, they, they wouldn't want to be my friend. And so we push people away and we put up walls and we keep people at a distance. And, and casual surface level friendships, they're easy for us, but, but we never go beyond that. And then some of us, we have pain from our past. It may be because of... Uh, some past pain that happened in a relationship, and at one point you said to yourself, I'm never gonna let people hurt me like that again. And the reality is, whether it's, it's personal, whether it's circumstantial, whether it's family of origin, or even personal choice, there are real obstacles that all of us face on a daily basis that keep us from experiencing relationally what, if we were really honest with ourselves, our hearts really desire. And so we have to decide for ourselves, what's worth fighting for? What's worth fighting for? Now, Scripture gives us several examples of friendship, and today I want to look at one of the friendship accounts from the book of 1 Samuel. We'll jump into the middle of the account. It's, it's uh, the story of when David, a shepherd boy, meets the son of the king, Jonathan, for the very first time. Saul is the current king of Israel, and David has just killed the giant Goliath, who was terrorizing the Israelites. Saul celebrates David's victory, and David and Jonathan meet. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and his sword and his bow and his belt. So Jonathan meets David, and what he does is interesting. He takes off his, his armor and his robe and his belt and his sword, and he puts them down. All of the status symbols that identified him as the son of the king. And he put them to all aside. And he said, David, I don't want to interact with you as the prince. I want to interact with you as a friend. And so this friendship is born. And then fast forward a little bit in the story, David is chosen by God to be the next king of Israel. David goes on this military career and he begins to get some success and, and he starts to get noticed. And these, these women, they start singing songs about him. They say, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And Saul hears about this and he's like, you know what? That makes me mad. I don't like that. And Saul gets a little bit jealous 
and, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to kill David. And so he sets out to kill him. And then we pick up the story in verse 15 and 16 of 1 Samuel 23. It says, while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord and then Jonathan went home, but David remained in Horish. I believe that every single one of us needs some people in our lives that will help us to find spiritual strength. So David and Jonathan, they, they hit it off. And sometimes there's just a connection. There's this affinity. We have people in our lives and you meet them and you're just like, we're gonna be friends. We just connect. This is gonna be great. And then there's other relationships that we have that you have some friends in your life and you look at each other and you're like, how are we even friends? Like we don't have anything in common. There's no connection, but it just seems to work. And through shared experiences, this friendship and this relationship, is, it's just developed and it's there. And what we learn from the story of David and Jonathan and what you've probably experienced in your life as well is that great friends are formed, not found. We can't create relationships, but we can create the potential for relationships. See, none of us will just walk up to someone and say, hi, my name's John, will you be my best friend? That's weird. We don't do that. Friendships must be built. They're not automatic. They don't just happen. Your close friends, you choose them, and then you cultivate the relationship. So what could and should this look like in our lives? And I know there are different types of friendships, and there are different uh, seasons that we all find ourselves in, but I think there are four things that great friends do that I think we can learn from today. And the first is this, great friends see your blind spots. Part of this is uh, humility. It's acknowledging that I have blind spots, that there are things in my life that I don't notice or that I've gotten used to or that I don't pay attention to anymore, and then letting other people speak into my life, being humble enough to say, you know what, you, you can say some things to me and I'm not going to get angry or defensive. And it doesn't mean that the other person is better than you. It just means that they have a different vantage point. Does anybody know who this is? This is Stan Van Gundy coach of the Pistons. Now, I'm a horrible basketball player, but I think I could take this guy one-on-one. -on -one. What's incredible, though, is he's actually a really good coach. Coaches, they don't coach because they're better than the players. In fact, if they had to take the field, most of them would probably get embarrassed. They often weren't even the best when they were in their prime. But coaches, they're able to coach because they're able to see things and call things out in other people. They have a different vantage point. Proverbs 27, 5 says it like this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend. This isn't talking about when friends become unfriendly. Uh, on Wednesday, it was kind of sunny out. And so we were playing outside in the evening with my family. And then my son Henley, he was barefoot and he came inside and he was running around. And then all of a sudden I looked down and I see this like trail of blood going across my hardwood floor. I'm thinking, okay, someone is bleeding out. 
And so I track down Henley and I pick him up and he's got this big gash on the bottom of his foot. And so I get some Neosporin and I kind of clean it out. And of course he winces because it hurts, right? Now, some of us grew up before they realized that hydrogen peroxide like kills everything, the good germs and the, and the bad uh, bacteria. And so our parents, what would they do? They'd take a big bottle of hydrogen peroxide and they just kind of pour it on the wound, right? And it hurt. And depending on if we were good or bad that day, they'd like pour it on a little bit longer, right? And it hurt really bad, but it also helped. And so instead of physical scars, we now have emotional scars that we're working through. A friend is somebody who can confront you about a weakness and you won't get mad at them. They can point out a blind spot in your life and you won't retaliate or become defensive. And a big part of this is number two, great friends know your secrets. The second thing is often the most costly and it's the most scary. And it includes deep disclosure with a few trusted friends. One of the most unique and attractive aspects of the life of Jesus was his utter transparency. Unlike so many leaders throughout history and so many leaders even today who live life at a distance, guarded and kind of separated from their followers, Jesus lived an ordinary life. He let his friends see him unveiled in moments of joy and sadness and anger and fatigue. It's who Jesus was when he was delighted, when he was exhausted, when he was disappointed. Nobody had to guess what Jesus was feeling. I think one of the reasons that people were so attracted to Jesus and even little kids would flock to him is Jesus was the only adult in human history that never learned how to manage his face. And just so his followers knew that this practice of self-disclosure was deliberate, this is what Jesus said to them just before he died. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friend. For everything I learned from the Father, I made known to you. In another translation, instead of the word business, it says the word heart. A servant doesn't know his master's heart. Everything I've known, I've I've made known to you. I've made my heart known to you. Jesus modeled for us deep disclosure to a few trusted friends. Author John Ortberg said, when people are looking for a friend, they're not looking for someone who's impressive. They're looking for someone who's real. I put a line in your uh, outline, and on one side it says, I share too little to know me. And then on the other side it says, I share too much too fast. Are you an overshare or an undershare? Maybe just put an X where you tend to find yourself most often. For me, I'm definitely a too little to know me. In fact, when I was in college, I was a part of this internship, this Christian internship, and uh, there was about a dozen uh, interns in this region, and we had a director over us who had selected us, and there was three things that we were required to do. One was we were required to volunteer at a local church. The second was we had to go to a local middle school or high school for lunch and mentor some kids. And then the third was that we had to attend these monthly training meetings and be mentored by our director. And for all of that, I got scholarship money for college. It was awesome. 
Uh, about a year and a half in, my second year as uh, doing this internship, the big fundraiser that where they would raise all the money for the scholarships, it didn't bring in enough funds. And so they had to cut a few interns. And I remember where I was when I got the phone call. And my director, he said, Shane, this is difficult for me, but I have to discontinue your internship. He said, you've been doing incredible at everything except for one thing. He said, Shane, I don't know you. He said, you've been my intern for a year and a half, and, and I don't know you. We've had multiple conversations, but I don't feel like I know you any better than when we first met. And in that moment, it was, it was hard to hear, but it was also true. And at 20 years old, it was the first time that anyone ever confronted me by the fact that I tend to keep people at a distance, that my default is to live on the left side of the line. And there's a lot of reasons that people live over on this side of the continuum. Insecurity, pride, fear. But the reality is, is that for many people, they live too far on this side of the line and they're doomed to never have deep and enduring friendship. And then there's those of us in the room that we live on the other side of the line. And for you, you overreact in kind of the opposite way. And there's this, like, this uh, relational voyeurism where you just share way too much way quickly. Like, hi, my name's Brian. Do you want to see my rash? <laughs> no. No, we do not want to see your rash. One clue, if, if, if you tend to be on this side of the line for you, would be your level of disclosure is disproportionate to your friend. If you're being transparent, but your friend isn't, maybe that's a clue. Another clue is if your transparency seems to be pushing people away instead of drawing them in. You see, inappropriate transparency can erode friendships too. But healthy relationships, they sort of live this, this middle line where there's transparency, but it's appropriate and it's gradual and it's equal. And it grows out of a relationship where trust and confidentiality it's, has already been established. And it happens when one person in a relationship sort of throws up a transparency trial balloon. Like you reveal a little bit about yourself and then you see, you see what happens. And if it's trusted and then if it's returned, then the relationship can deepen. I want to encourage you to do two things this weekend. First is this. I'd like to encourage you to move towards having someone in your life who knows all about you. Move towards having somebody in your life who knows everything. It's scary, but it's healthy. Second, try to move yourself a little bit more towards the middle of this line. If you're too far to the left or too far to your right, take some intentional steps towards a healthy center. And then there's number three. Great friends make you better. It's not just about people knowing you, but through our interactions that we become the best versions of ourselves. Proverbs 18, 24 says it like this. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Have you ever had an unreliable friend? Be honest. Unreliable friend. Yeah. If your hand's not up, you are an unreliable friend. <laughs> now, part of this, it's, it's not just about relationships, but it's about being strategic with our relationships. I know that in my life, I haven't always been as intentional as I could be about my community and making sure that I have the right voices speaking into my life. 
I wrote down four key relationships. And there's a blank spot next to each one for you to write a name of a person that you have in your life that would fit into this category. And my guess is that most of us, we don't have all of these different types of people because we tend to gravitate towards people who are like us. And so it takes intentionality. The first key relationship is the coach. This person encourages you when you're down, helps you to figure things out and find solutions. This person consistently helps you, instructs you, and is helping to refine you. And then there's the connector. This person, they know a lot of people, and they can help you to make introductions and make new relationships. They're always building bridges. They're always introducing you to other people. This is the person that if you have a party, they're the first person you invite to the party because you know if they're coming to the party, everyone's coming to the party. And then there's the cheerleader. This person loves to encourage you. They'll cheer you on in bad seasons and good seasons. We love cheerleaders. These are the people that you leave the conversation and you just feel like you can take on the world. I have a, a friend of mine who's a pastor and his email signature, you know how you can set up those auto email signatures. His says, in your corner, cheering loudly. It's like the most positive thing in the world. You just feel a little bit better about yourself when you're around him. And then there's the challenger. This person won't allow you to lie to yourself and boldly calls you to do your best. They can be harsh, but still loving. I have a friend and, and we were roommates in college and he hated confrontation. One time uh, he was mad at me for something and I had no idea why. And so that next morning, uh, right when my alarm uh, went off, he jumps out of bed and runs in the bathroom and locks the door. And he's in there for over an hour. And so I like knock on the door. I need to get ready for class. And he won't answer the door and he won't open the door. And so finally I just go back to bed and I missed my first class. And then later that night I was talking to him and I said, hey dude, you know, what happened this morning? What's going on? Do we need to switch from one ply toilet paper to two ply toilet paper? Like what's the deal here? And he said, you know what, I was angry at you and I knew if I stayed in the bathroom all morning that you wouldn't be able to get ready and that you'd miss your class. I'm like, that is the most elaborate way to tell me that there's a problem. Why couldn't we just have talked about this? You see, I'm not talking about people who are passive aggressive or who uh, you know, make you have to guess at what's going on, but people who they speak clearly and directly and they call you out on your stuff. They say, hey, you know what? That's hurtful when you say that. That's not your best. So who's missing from your list? Now, chances are, if, if you're a cheerleader, you probably have a lot of cheerleaders in your life. If you're a connector, if you love people, you probably have a lot of people who love people in your life. But how do we fill in the gaps? How do we build our list? Really, it starts with accepting your current season of life. The reality is that there will be seasons of life that are easier relationally, and there will be seasons of life that are more difficult relationally. And you have to say, you know what, I accept this season of life, but I'm not gonna stop there. I'm gonna take some intentional relational risks. Take some measured relational risks. Join a growth group. Sign up for a volunteer team. Meet people at church. What if it was your goal to meet one new person each weekend here at Timberlake? 
Or what if you decided, you know, that, that person that I've been talking to or that couple that I've said hi to, I'm going to invite them out to lunch or I'm going to set up a play date with our kids. And then you have to trust God's future for you, knowing that as I take steps, that God has my best in store for me. The fourth characteristic of great friends is that they build your faith. Let me bring it full circle and say this. The final truth is that our relational lives and our spiritual lives are deeply connected. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When you go to the doctor and something hurts, they take your vital signs, they check your blood pressure, they check your pulse, and sometimes what's really wrong is, is not what you thought was wrong. Sometimes the, the symptom and the cause of the problem aren't obviously connected. I remember when I was in high school and I was playing sports and all of a sudden my knees started hurting when I would run and it got to the point where they, they hurt really, really bad. And so I went in and got some tests done and eventually they found out that my knees actually weren't the problem at all. It was my feet. It was my arches. And so they, they made me some custom orthotics and I started wearing them and all of a sudden my knees stopped hurting. Our bodies are connected and this is a spiritual principle as well. Your spiritual life and your relational life are deeply connected. A psychologist named John Townsend had an interesting way to frame this. He had this kind of graph, and he talked about kind of our relationship with God, and as we improved our relationship with God, and then our relationship with people as we improve our relationship with people. And he said the problem is some people think that they can live right here, where they say, I'm, I'm doing great spiritually, but not relationally. And the, the problem is that sometimes in church we'll, we'll experience this, where we'll say, you know what, me and God are good. I go to church. I read my Bible sometimes. I laugh at all of Pastor Ben's quirky jokes. Like spiritually, I'm okay, but I'm, I'm not connected at all. And we think that that's okay. Or some of us will, will live down here where we say, you know what, relationally I'm doing great, but I'm not on a faith journey. And what he said was that most of life actually ends up living on this line right here. That, that I grow in my relationship with God as I grow more connected in community. And that I can actually drift in my relationship with God as I choose to isolate myself and live alone. Whenever somebody tells the story of their spiritual journey, it almost always includes other people. I've really never heard someone say that in isolation, all alone, by myself, I discovered God, built a relationship, grew in my faith, and became all that God wanted me to be by myself without any other person involved. I've never heard that. When you look back, sometimes it's a conversation, for other people, it's a series of conversations. Or for some people, they'd say, you know what, it, it wasn't anything they said, but I watched how they lived their life. I saw their marriage. I saw how they raised their family. I saw them walk away from business decisions because it would compromise their ethics. I saw the, the set of values that they lived their life, and I just thought, you know what, maybe there is a God. Here's the principle. God uses great relationships 
to build our faith. Some of you, if you took a step back and you were really honest with yourself, you'd say, you know what, something's just not working. For some of us in this season of life, when we think of our relational life, we just feel this sense of apathy or hopelessness. Some of you, you'd say, you know what, it feels like the hill is just too steep to climb and I don't have the right gear. For some of you, you'd say, you know what, I just don't have anyone making me better at things that matter the most. Maybe others of us, you'd say, you know, I have some of these elements, but just not the full package. And the reality is, is there are some practical biblical principles that we talked about this weekend that if you put them into practice, your relationships will improve. But there's, a, there's an underlying spiritual issue here as well. And my hope is that, yes, that, that you'll choose to prioritize relationships, that you'll take some practical steps towards healthy relationships, that you'll open up your life to other people. But more important than all of that, my hope is that you would choose to open up your heart to Jesus more and more. Because ultimately, the best relationship that we could ever develop and the one that actually is a catalyst for the others is our personal relationship with Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting timberlakechurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.